Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. Sorry for the late upload today. It is Sunday morning, September 10th. Yesterday was my birthday. If you listen to the episode 99 Problems, <laughs> two years ago, where I think I managed to talk for almost an hour and a half about complicated feelings with my birthday. And they, they certainly don't go away. But point being, I slept in a bit today. Got to keep the festivities rolling all weekend and milk it for all it's worth. Because I am raising a, you know, miniature human egg timer that physically cannot sleep over three hours. It's kind of remarkable how on the on the dot, the timer goes off and it's just like, woman, I'm hungry. Get me some, you know, and yeah, yeah, it's part of, part of the part of the job with the with the newborn. We need to work on manners. You know, it's like very zero to 60, very zero to screaming, so calm, so sweet. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I mean, the vo- the volume is interesting to me. That's like got to be part of biology where, you know, in the days of yore, if we were sleeping in a field, that's not where people slept in the days of yore. What are the days of yore? Um, but like, let's say I was in a field like really far away from my offspring. I guess like in an evolutionary sense, they, you know, needed me to hear them. But the thing is, the, the open field has since narrowed. And now the medical field recommends the baby sleeps in our room the first several months. And you're like right next to my face and I can't in fact hear you. Anyway, I just I think especially like the hunger cry when they wake up and realize they're hungry is it it's a decibel level that is truly impressive. I've often wondered, you know, I support the arts and I, you can't see me, but I'm Father, Son, Holy Spiriting. I, I would love for my kids to be more interested in like the arts or theater or dance or something on a stage with recitals, but for fun, not not like competitive dance, I don't think. I'm just not totally sure how I feel about a strip lash on an elementary schooler, even though I know that's the culture, more so than like sports. Although I say that now on every part of this, I've been surprised by how much I've enjoyed it. So maybe I would enjoy a sideline soccer game, IDK. But I was thinking the other night about how like, what's it, what do you do when you want your kid to find a hobby, a passion or whatever? They, they decide to join band, you know, that, that, that's amazing. Not a band, but like the school band jazz band, whatever. Like, what do you do as a parent when they enthusiastically bring home a brass instrument? I mean, a a tuba, a trombone, a French horn would be like chic. I don't see a lot of kids play the French horn. Anyway, I I wouldn't stifle their creativity. Uh, It wouldn't make it about me, but I just imagine that's an interesting experience when an instrument is chosen that will rock your entire household. And I'd imagine you'd be tempted to strong, strong arm them into a a weaker sound, like a xylophone. I just Googled, what, what's that giant violin called? A cello. Anyway, why did I bring that up? I was talking about loud noise. Oh, I, I do think the interesting thing about babies, especially hunger, because the specific cry that's like a really high decibel level is kind of when they're asleep and then wake up and realize they're hungry. It's, it's kind of makes you realize that hunger is a thing for a reason. Like, obviously, this child isn't fully developed, but you know, a baby without like a filter is so emotionally driven by hunger. I mean, it makes sense the way we feel when we haven't eaten properly. The way I felt for most of the early 2000s when I was, you know, gossiping with friends over condescending bowls of cottage cheese. I believe in my book, I referred to lean cuisines as having an 
aftertaste of pure sorrow. But yeah, I think I just convinced myself I was dramatic my whole life when I was in such a bad mood because I was hungry. But this biologically reminds me that that's for a reason. And you're not you when you're hungry. Okay, that I regret saying that. That's a Snickers slogan. Um, but you know what I mean. <laughs> What's that? I feel like I've seen the quote floating around a lot. I don't know its origin. Uh, it's kind of becoming like a, an elusive, is it anonymous? Is it Eleanor Roosevelt? Is it Marilyn Monroe? Is it Audrey Hepburn type of vibe? Because I see it attributed to a lot of different people. Uh, but it's like, if you think everyone hates you, you probably need to sleep. If you think you hate everyone, you probably need to eat. And wow, is that accurate? Um, another sidebar, and I promise I'll get on topic. I was, <laughs> I'm kind of obsessing over the coverage. And by obsessing, I mean like in a bad way. I'm genuinely horrified and at times I'm viscerally emotionally responding to a point where I can't even like pay attention to it because I find it so dark. The eight passengers situation with Ruby, Frankie, and Jody Hildebrand uh, being arrested for child abuse. There, Ruby Frankie was like a very successful YouTube family vlogger and had a channel called Eight Passengers. And it's, anyways, it's a very, very dark story that I've been consuming so much content about. I think I'm going to do a Patreon about it, not to be annoying and pay wallet for sport, but because I I feel weird covering stuff that in, sometimes involves kids. Part of me is like grateful that people are distilling it and breaking it down and making content about it because then I can follow the case. But then part of me is like, I kind of hate that content is being made about this to perpetuate it because the whole issue is these kids have been online their whole lives. I plan to share my, you know, experiences parenting, but I do think there's like a difference between sharing about like motherhood and matrescence, being a parent and like your kids' private information. And on an episode a long time ago, I played some sound bites. It was, I think it was maybe part of a Kate Lila, but, you know, they filmed like going to Walmart for the first time to like buy pads and tampons. They'll like mocking their son's like text exchange with a girl like on camera on YouTube for millions of views. And he's like a teenager. I mean, even worse, a couple of years ago, she was very openly saying like her, you know, six-year-old daughter forgot her lunch. Um, and it's her responsibility to pack her lunch every morning. And the teacher texted her being like, you know, so-and-so is is hungry. Where's her lunch? Can you bring her lunch to school? And she's like, no, she's got to learn. She's got to be hungry. And by being hungry, she'll learn to never, you know, forget to pack her lunch again. She's like, what? Oh, my God. A six-year-old? Like, you're a monster. I mean, there's just there were so many different things that happened that have made people suspicious of her for years. But she and her like business partner slash mentor, Jody, got arrested. Was it this past week or two weeks ago uh, after Ruby's son escaped Jody's house and went to a neighbor's house and was showing signs of like clear physical trauma and they were arrested for they both were arrested for child abuse um without getting too far into it there's a lot of articles and content about it this week uh but the thing i want to dig into on patreon because you know i'm interested in cults and stuff this organization slash curriculum slash i don't even know what it is it's a thing called connections that's allegedly more like a cult that ruby frankie got sucked into in recent years and that's where shit got like really dark. 
connections is this crazy thing that kind of is it sounds Duggar adjacent and how they view like discipline. But the scary part is Jody, the other woman who was arrested, whose house the kid escaped from, she was a therapist and uh, lost her license. I don't know if she like was able to get it back, but she was a licensed therapist who lost her license for sharing private information with a Mormon bishop about one of her patients. And she like started this thing called Connections that then the mom of eight passengers, the vlogger, Ruby, got really embedded with. And it's this like, it reminds me of Nexium in, in how it co-ops effective tools used in psychotherapy to help people, but instead uses them to manipulate people and monetize their shame, especially in a religious context. It's kind of like the old adage of, you know, if you have like a tool and you understand the tenets of psychotherapy, it's kind of like how a knife is very different when used by a murderer or a chef. Um, and it just seems like she's appropriated all of her training and education and completely has abandoned any and all uh, professionalism and ethical obligation to properly clinically advise people and does so in a highly manipulative manner in alignment with more extreme beliefs that are fueled from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And yeah, there's a lot out there about it and how she was like on an approved list of therapists from the church and allegedly was like such a go-to person if you needed a therapist recommended to you that would advise you through a religious lens. And I'm down a rabbit hole now of just finding it very interesting when there's that clear conflict of interest there between uh, professionals' personal values and then their professional slash clinical obligation uh, to be a practitioner of mental health. And it's crazy to think, you know, when you read more about this Jody person and her alleged, you know, cult slash organization uh, and how twisted the logic is and how intense the discipline is and how scary it is that like Ruby's kid, like the, apparently she was a therapist for some of Ruby's kids. Um, and she, you know, purposefully was introducing very shame-based tactics into psychotherapy, especially related to like sex and relationships and stuff. It's, it's so insidious how it can seem good on the surface, like progressive, you know, like, uh, oh, for once a religious organization isn't relying on like blessings and tithing and like supernatural powers to have good things come into your life. And if they don't, it must be your fault and telling you you should sin less, tithe more, blah, 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 to like have good things come to you. They're like, great, they're acknowledging the help of a third party when your mental health needs to be taken care of and that it's not something supernatural powers can take care of. But at the same time, having like an approved list of therapists that uh, advise people through a lens of the shame-based tactics that they can't escape at church is like a really scary conflict of interest and uh, style of manipulation that I just am fearful of what a lot of people have been going through if they've gotten to the point where they've bravely like sought out therapy and sought out help and then been, you know, connected with people like Jody, who we now know is like a special kind of evil that developed her own like curriculum that is so abusive and not trauma-informed, rather traumatizing people further under the guise of helping them, 
And yeah, I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's just the thing I'm obsessing over right now. Uh, but I haven't dove deep enough to like do a full episode about it. But yeah, why did I bring that up? A, because a lot of you have asked me what I think about it. And I think the whole thing is horrifying. But B, oh yeah, again, not relevant. Can you tell that I'm just excited to talk to adults once again this week? Uh, this reminds me of when I first started the podcast and I was working by myself and I'm just like, I have so much to say. But I was looking at another mom blogger who has eight kids that I've kind of vaguely followed over the years. I was curious if she was still just sharing like budget hacks or it had like, you know, hopefully hadn't gone to the dark side. She still seems to be doing her thing. But there was a post she had and it was a quote and it said, it will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. And it was attributed, attributed to President Gordon B. Hinckley, who is the president of the LDS church. I mean, maybe until he died in like 2008 or whatever. But I was just kind of laughing. I'm like, what an early Rachel Hollis. Gordon B. Hinckley attributing quotes to himself that were not his. If he said he said that. Like, I, was, I kept scrolling because I was hoping for my own laughter at 3 a.m. to find like, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Gordon B. Hinckley. Why did I bring that up? Oh, because of... Um, the quote about hunger and if you can't sleep versus if you if you think everyone hates you versus if you hate everyone sleeping and eating and uh yet to bring this back 12 minutes later my baby has made me realize that it is not dramatic uh if you are hungry or underslept and yeah we should all do a reverse melissa manchester and in fact cry out loud uh to fulfill our basic needs. Oh, but the other reason, it's that really unimportant aside, that uh, bringing up the latest scandal uh, adjacent to the LDS church is because of today's episode topic. Because, okay, to back up for a second, today we have a Bethson show, which is a concept that I thought of during my maternity leave where I interview listeners of the podcast uh, about the what you're interested in, what you're obsessing over, rabbit holes you've gone down, life experiences you've had, uh, because I think you guys are so interesting. And I'd rather tap into my own audience than just interview like public figures on here. And I'm trying to find, you know, I, I recorded uh, all of these before I went into labor. So again, sorry if I ever sound tired or my breathing is like really heavy. Didn't know I had 30 plus pounds of like fluid in my body. Uh, a lot of it in my lungs at the time. I just thought I was extremely pregnant and out of shape. But now listening to me talking, I'm like, yikes. Um, but anyway, this is a series mostly for Patreon that we're doing. But now we have two Patreon episodes and two main feed um, where I'm interviewing listeners. And the first one is about a situation that it sounds like it's like theoretically kind of like a fascinating juicy tale but hearing about somebody's personal experience you realize how like devastating it is and when you get when you lightly take a dna kit test like an ancestry.com and you get a result back that you weren't expecting in this case it's something called an npe which can mean non-parent not parent expected or non-paternity event and we talked to a listener shay about that today and i'm so grateful for her sharing her story and i think it will help a lot of people and be really educational for why these things are important. Um, but even for context with Ancestry.com, I think it's so interesting. So there's a partial involvement of the Mormon church in the acquisition and curation of the records that are now Ancestry.com today. And the reason for that is because the LDS church has like 
the largest physical archive of ancestry in the world. It's fact-checking in a New Yorker article. It says the Genealogical Society of Utah is now known as FamilySearch and run by the church as a nonprofit. In 1996, two BYU graduates seized a commercial opportunity by launching a genealogical website that put up searchable digitized versions of public databases like the Social Security Death Index. In the early 2000s, the company partnered with a pioneering genetic testing firm that was founded by another Mormon entrepreneur. And in 2013, it signed a deal with FamilySearch to digitize a billion of the church's volunteer-indexed records. Joining the projects of state, science, and salvation, the company's name is simply Ancestry. Uh, And the reason for them having this massive database is because part of the faith is something called baptisms by proxy, where they baptize people posthumously. I believe, I think it started as people who died before the origin of the faith, but has since extended to people that just, I think, weren't baptized into it in their lifetime. And I guess the idea is they, you know, can get their souls to heaven after the fact. There are so many, so many layers to this and how controversial it has been from the public figures of other faiths who they've baptized without the consent of people in their modern bloodline, uh, among other things. Uh, this article mentions George Washington himself was posthumously baptized four times. Anyway, I don't know the degree that this is still done or if this is kind of a thing of yesteryear or whatever, but I do think the point of origin of having these records is due to baptizing deceased ancestors. Anyway, I just didn't know if people knew that kind of origin story of Ancestry.com. I have not done one of the spit tests. I just always kind of saw it as more like a fun thing to research for kicks. But I think this is a really interesting and important story of a, you know, deeper search for truth and identity. And then uh, I like to balance the episodes with some with different types. Either I like to do the Bethson show of like along the same vein or two kind of topics, one that's more serious and one that's more light. And the second piece of this conversation is with a lovely listener named Emily. And we talk about the twee aesthetic. Uh, I don't know if you you are familiar with the term, but I think we're just in such an aesthetic moment ever since TikTok became a thing. I mean, we're talking about like cinnamon cookie butter makeup, like what? We're just getting really specific with our aesthetics these days. And now that I think that twee could be broken down into probably like 45 subgenres because we're getting so granular. But at the time, it kind of represented uh, this Zoe de Chanel type character who had bangs, a collection of vintage glassware, maybe rode a bike with a basket or had thick rim glasses, listened to kind of indie music, was kind of quirky and nerdy, manic pixie dream girl adjacent. And we talk about twee culture and the manic pixie dream girl from a semi-feminist angle and kind of laugh about it too. I think it's a an interesting archetype that I wanted to participate in, but like couldn't fully because my body type just doesn't look that good in most clothes from anthropology, but we get into that later. But some context we didn't go into in our conversation, which I didn't know about twee, is it is uh, a British term meaning affectedly or excessively dainty, delicate, cute, or quaint. It, it's a baby talk mispronunciation of sweet and is seen in the lexicon as early as 1905. Very interesting. It says, visually, the aesthetic involves outdated habits that become novel because of how unique it is in comparison to mainstream trends. So to me, it was kind of like female hipster-ish, but less condescending. Anyway, we'll get into that later. But two very different but interesting convos that I wanted to share with you today. Thanks for letting me ramble like the good old days, uh, helping me 
get through these trying times of sleeplessness and not really leaving the house. Uh, and we'll get right into these conversations after a brief message from our sponsors. Enjoy. Guess what, guys? I'm finally using my diaper bag from Base for its actual purpose. I love Base. Base is like the perfect luggage that's fashionable and functional, created by actress and model Shay Mitchell, with the goal to make sleek and affordable bags, luggage, and accessories designed to help you travel effortlessly while still looking fashionable. They've thought of everything. Their rollerboard suitcases have 360-degree gliding wheels, this really amazing like memory foam cushioned handle, a built-in weight indicator, which is huge because I don't like to play fast and loose with the 50 pounds, washable bags for your dirty clothes, all you know, all the things, interior pockets, etc. And then I have a matching black backpack that zips and opens to be a hanging toiletry bag and a diaper bag, which has a compartment in the back that zips out. So you can change the baby on it. It has compartments for wipes that are super easy access. It is all the compartments I need to know exactly where stuff is because you can't waste time. You got you, you to gotta be on it uh, when you're changing on the go. And I just love this company. And every piece is made to look better with miles. So you don't have to worry about it in cargo or overhead. But you don't have to listen to me. It has over 30,000 five-star reviews. And right now, Base is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase by Visiting basetravel.com slash be there in five. Go to basetravel.com slash be there in five for 15% off your first purchase. That's B E I S travel.com slash be there in five. I told you guys before, but I'm honestly shook to my core at how many things I am buying, like little things here and there, and experimenting with as a result of having a newborn. And getting some cash back with Ibotta is very helpful in this new season of my life. But in general, this new season comes with back to school and clothing and school supplies. And I'm sure your closets and backpacks are growing with every purchase, but that shouldn't be the only thing growing. You can also watch your cash back grow with each purchase with Ibotta. Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It's literally that easy. And the average Ibotta user earns $120 per year, which covers the cost of an entire shopping trip or going out to eat, or you could use your cash back to buy something you've been eyeing. And it's kind of a no-brainer because other apps give you points that don't amount to much, but with Ibotta, you get real cash back and you can cash it out to your bank account, to PayPal, or gift cards, and you can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers too when you start with Ibotta, including Macy's, Sephora, Lowe's, Best Buy, and more. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using code BETHERE and 5 when you register. Just go to the App Store or, or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code be there in 5 That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use code be there in 5 Hi, Shay. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining. Yeah, I've actually never done this before, so um, if I go too fast or anything weird, just so you know, first time. Oh my gosh, for, I, I don't think uh, <laughs> recording yourself talking is like normal or natural for most people. So yours was like, oh my gosh, the second I read it, I was like, I have to know more. This is so wild. Well, first of all, where do you where do you live? Uh, I am in a Lee Summit, Missouri, which is like right outside of Kansas City. So, Kansas oh nice. City. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So I, I feel like I will hand it off to you to just kind of like tell, say what you told me. Like some of these things are like topical, like 
pop culture, your personal interest, but this is an interesting one. It's like a personal story paired with like a broader thing. I think it's maybe good for people to be aware of as like an outcome. So yeah, tell me your story. Yeah. So I've been thinking about this a lot, um, about how to like approach this. Um, because I think that like, I just want to preface this by saying that it's definitely my experience and like how I feel and what happened to me. Cause I think a lot of people know somebody who's had a similar situation and they, um, have their own opinions about it. But like, I just want to share this from like, this is me. This is what I feel. Um, totally. So in 2018, I did a, and actually I did an ancestry mail-in kit. Like my mother-in-law was like super into like her mapping her genealogy because she's like old and retired and, you know, so fun. Yeah. Um, and so in 2018, Ancestry um, did at-home DNA kits. And so she bought one for my husband and I. And we we're like, this is so cool. And you like spit. I don't know if you've ever done it, but it's like you spend like 20 minutes spitting into this tube and then you send it away. And then um, it's so exciting. How fun. You yeah. can see where you're, where you're from. Um, so we did that. <laughs> we get those results back. That was in 2018. And um, it was not really anything shocking because most of the people that I like came up on my um, ancestry were like fourth and fifth cousins. And I was like, I don't know any of these people anyways. How exciting. We're related. Does it give you names? Mm-hmm. It gives you names and you can like connect with their profiles. Um, but it, I think maybe just the nature of ancestry, it was typically like an older generation yeah. um, of people. And, and by doing the thing, you're consenting to then having anyone who does who's related to you be related to yeah. your information. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah. You can turn <clears throat> it off. Like you can say like, don't share me with others. But I mean, that what was the fun in that? Yeah, like, so what's I was the like, point? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so my story is interesting because some of the names um, in my paternal family I recognized. And so I was like, okay, well, there's my dad's family and there's my mom's family. And okay, that's, and I had talked to my mom about it at the time. And she was like, that's exciting. I should do it too. Um, my father, so kind of like the layers of this, my, who I believe to be my father passed away when I was 13. And okay. I um, was the only child of my mother and father and his only child. So um, that was like, I don't know, the only, I'm the only one. So I was like, okay. So anyways, I didn't have him to have conversations with like, do you know your third cousin? So I just mm. kind of saw it. And my grandfather, who I was also connected to, um, had passed away in 2017, the year before. So okay, I had no information. Um, so I kind of let that go. Like that was fun, whatever. My grandmother, my father's mother passed away in 2021, 20, I'm sorry, I'm getting this piece last year, just last year. Mm-hmm. She, on her deathbed, like, like old people do, decided to, like, give out her family secrets um, to her daughter, my aunt, and said that when she was 17, um, she was pregnant and her parents were like, no, you're not. And they sent her to Maine to have her baby. And then she could come back home and be their teenage daughter again. Mm, um, but she, her heart. Oh my God. I know. And I think about that story, like, all these things that I'm telling you, there's like... Well, that's another day, you know. Right, right. Come back to that later. So my aunt, you know, as my grandmother, she died in the hospital and we kind of knew it was happening. And and all these stories came out. That story came out to my aunt. She told my aunt, like, there's this thing that happened and I want you to know that there is a child out there. Um, And so my aunt spit into the Ancestry.com, the Ancestry um, DNA kit. She's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to find this. This would be her sister. 
this would be her sister um, or brother. Brother, a okay, baby, a yeah. baby. I don't know if my grandmother um, told her that detail, but so she does it, and um, I didn't know this was happening. Um, I'm just living my life. I, my, I'm from Alabama, so I am from Mobile, Alabama, way south. Um, and my aunt and my father's family is in New Orleans, Louisiana. So I've moved away to go to gone to school, married, and had children, and so. My grandmother passed away and, and it was sad, but I was kind of disconnected from that. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know any of this was happening. I didn't know that story um, until I got a phone call from my aunt in April of last year. And she says, like, have you talked to your mom? And my mom and I have an interesting relationship, which all makes sense now. Um, and I said, no, I haven't. I haven't talked to her. What are you talking about? And she's like, well, I told her this. Uh, but I wanted her to be the one to tell you. But since she's not going to tell you, I'm going to tell you. Um, I'm not your aunt. And I was like, okay. Um, okay, what? She's like, no, I'm not your aunt. And I guess, so this is really common. Um, this is so common that these Ancestry and 23andMe have hotlines that you can call to be like, wow, my DNA doesn't make sense. So my aunt actually calls this hotline. So she's, she, she's the sibling of who you thought was your father. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. She is the sibling of who I thought was my father. And it's weird. So she tells me that she calls the hotline to be like, my niece. So I show up as a genetic match to her as her third cousin. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll explain. And okay. so she looks for me because she knows that I've done this. And it says, like, Shay is your third cousin. So, so she you should calls, be her niece. I should be her niece. Okay. She calls Ancestry to the hotline because... This, there is a number you can call if you're confused. It's and like identity said, crisis hotline received honestly, by email. Like this is, it's so jarring to think about. I know. They're like, do you need emotional support or do you just want us to tell you? Like it's, it's so insane. Wow. So the, the hotline tells her and she told, tells me that there is no reality where we are niece and aunt. We are, she said, whoever my biological father is, is her second cousin. And she doesn't know who this person is. Whoever you're by. Sorry. (laughs) I know. I know. No, it gets way, it gets way more fun. So I um, then get a little weirded out and I say, well, I need to call my mom. Like, I just need to call my mom. This is weird. So I call my mom and I'm, I'm really upset because I'm like, what is this? This is crazy. And, and me and my, I kind of approach it to my mom. Like this woman is crazy. What is she talking about? And my mom is like, yeah, she did. I guess my, my aunt had like Facebook message because they don't, I mean, they're not connected. She's my dad's sister and my mom right. and my dad oh, separated. Okay. Yeah. Um, so anyways, my mom says to me, well, <laughs> there could be one other person. And I am like, what, <sighs> ma'am? <laughs> because when I tell you, Kate, like there is no reality in this lifetime where I thought Ever, 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 ever. I look like my father, who I thought was my father. People will be like, oh, you act just like him. You know that, like, you're just like your dad, like, all the time. You already grieved him? I mean. I can't. That is another, like, layer to this because I can tell you that, like, getting more into this story, the feelings that I felt that day were the same feelings I felt when my mom told me that he had died. Like, it it's like that disbelief of like, wow. everyone's joking. Everyone's kidding. This can't be right. And then it's like anger. So my mom says there could be one other person. As if she doesn't really know. As if she doesn't know. And as if she 
had maybe not considered this before because, and thinking about it now, my mom always made this weird point, And I don't know why, because I'm a child and the weird things that adults tell children. My mom always made this weird, inappropriate point to tell me that she was never with anyone but my father. Like my mom was 17 when I was born. And okay. so her thing was always like, I met your dad. And he was the only person I was ever with. I'm like, okay. And now knowing I'm like, why did she always have to tell me that? Now I'm like, no, because it wasn't the truth. And it was like some sort of narrative that she was trying to like a den- her own denial, maybe. <clears throat> oh, my gosh. So anyways, she says to me, you know, she says a name. And I'm like, OK. And I know this name because I know this person in two ways. One, he is um, he has the same last name as me and my. Who I believe to be my father. My, last, my maiden name what? is Weber. <laughs> yeah. Which in my head, like, oh, I'm the second cousin. Like, I, I get it. They're related to each other, which is how I'm related to my aunt. So, so you're at this point like, okay, my mom potentially slept with two men vaguely related to one another. Mm -hmm. With the same last name. Or with the same last name, at least. Okay. So this man, I know him because I knew, and here's how it gets complicated. I knew him. My mom like had a relationship with him kind of between, I thought between my dad and who she married, my stepfather. And I also know him because like, got to keep up here. He is, his brother is married to my mom's sister. Okay. Okay. Um, we'll just call him his name. Well, his name's Wayne. We'll just he's call your him. he's your uncle through marriage. He's my uncle through marriage. He's my uncle through marriage's brother. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, let me just make a chart for you because that's how I feel when I tell everyone. Damn. It's like no. And, and so my mom that morning, it's the morning, and she's like, "Yeah, you know, we can talk about this. Um, I can contact this person. I'm still friends with him. Like I still know him. My mom, my aunt is still married to his brother. I have cousins who are." children, you know, I, I'm related to all these people. So I'm like, yeah, mom, can you call this person? Like weird. Um, and I'm saying, you call and say, what do you think that like, it's kind of a thing where she's the one who would have to know, like, what is she going to ask him? I don't know, but that's not, and the moment of me telling her that, like, that was not my problem. Like, you need to figure this out. You lied to me. Yeah, true, true, true. So it's morning time. I remember my daughter, she's six years old. And I remember I was doing her hair when my aunt called and we were getting ready to go to a like kite festival in town. And my husband came in and I'm crying and I had to be like, well, this thing just happened. Um, but let's go to that kite festival. So I like, you know, get off the phone. My mom, as far as I know, she's going to contact her friend and we get up and we go to the kite festival. And when I tell you, it was like, walking in this weird like ghost body like yeah what is happening I had called my therapist um and was like can you meet me on zoom because I I tend to like I'm kind of a dramatic person I like to like make things fun and so I like to check myself and I was like am I overreacting is this no big deal or is this a big deal I don't know like uh later I she confirmed it was a huge deal it's a pretty big deal (laughs) oh my god so I, I go to the kite festival and I'm like, you know, this it's like a ghost. I mean, it was a weird feeling. All that to say, I kind of like text my mom throughout the day to be like, did you talk to your friend? Did you connect with your friend? And my mom's like, not yet. So I'm like, this friend is married to the same person he's been married to for a long time. They have mm. like five children together. Mm-hmm. That's layered. So that night um, before I meet with my therapist, I call my mom and she says to me, I've been thinking about it and I've decided not to call him. Um, you're going to disrupt families. It's not a good idea. Why does this even matter to you? You need to let this go. Your dad is your dad. It doesn't matter. And she's like mad, like angry. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, I have no idea what happened between the morning and to the evening of her realizing, like, I can't do this. So I say to her, 
that's fine. And my mom and I, our relationship is, it's just weird. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to call my aunt and have her help me connect with this person. I'll call this person. What do I have to lose? So I was like, I'm going to call my aunt and my mom and my aunt like don't get along and have never really got along. And it's weird. I don't know why, but, um, so then Monday I'm a teacher. So I go to work on Monday and then I'm like, I'm going to, I, on my plan period, decide to like go in the office and do this. Like, what was I thinking? That was silly. Um, just have this casual conversation. I call my mom's (laughs) sister who I haven't talked to in a long time. We had kind of disconnected because of political views. Like my family, it's hard to be like, hi, I know I've been avoiding you, but now I need you for something. Right. Uh, <laughs> this kind of transcends our differences. Right. And my, and it was, she's family. So she like picked up the phone and I explained everything just as I explained to you. And I was crying. Um, and my aunt says, I was never going to tell you this. <laughs> I, it's so funny now. I was never going to tell you this, but I can see you're really upset. But I actually believe that Joey, her husband, is your father. And I like, wait, sorry, wait, I know, I know, I know. Your so aunt turned- on your mom's side, mm-hmm. her yeah. sister's husband is my she was, potential. Mm-hmm. She was suspicious your mom slept with her current husband. Did, did they date in the past? According to my aunt, um, they did. See, my mom was 17. They were like 16, 17, 18. Like, like in a small ages. town, everyone kind of dated everyone. Yeah. And I don't know if it was a dating situation or, you know, just like teenager. I, I don't right, know. Right. Um, but what I do know, which makes this a little bit even more complicated, is that I have a cousin. My aunt has a son who was born in January and then I'm born in February. So when my mom gets pregnant with me, her sister's pregnant at the same time. So I don't. Uh, it, it, with that, the same man she's still married to that could be your father. Yes, correct. So my my cousin, who is maybe my brother. I, oh. I, and that, I know, I know, Kate. So I've been living with this. Uh, oh, so I do finally reach out to the brother. My uncle, I don't know him that well. And I call him my uncle. But like my mom and my aunt have always had a rocky relationship, which, of course, now it makes sense. Now that makes so much sense. Honestly, like another part of this is that like I have lived all of my experiences back over with this new perspective of like, wow. oh my God, here is why this never happened. Here's why we couldn't do this. Here's why those conversations happened. Like I didn't know I was the family secret. I had no idea. I, I'm like, wow. What? And all of this to say, like, it's funny. Ha ha ha. Wow. So crazy. But like, it's, it's my identity that is just like totally ripped apart, totally ripped apart. And these men, the two brothers are second cousins to who I believe to be my father. And I knew that all my life because I knew that my cousins and I were related on both sides. Um, Okay. So, and here's the other thing. So my birth certificate father and the man who is my, I still don't know when I can get there. They are um, Native American. So they're, it's called Moa Choctaw. And they all look dark skin, dark hair, dark eyes. They all look a, a lot alike. Um, and so that's why it's like, oh, I look like this man who I believe to be my father. They mm-hmm. all have a very similar look and no one questioned that I looked like the man I believed to be my father because he also kind of looked like his cousins. Well, like yeah. Everybody, everybody looked a lot alike. Um, so that, that was like, I think my mom got away with that because she like, just, I don't, I, and she and I have no contact. We don't have any contact because she. She's got done everything from DNA is false to why does it matter? 
to every thing that you can imagine except for here's the truth. So she, so. the first thing she said was there could be one other person, and that was the other person, last name Weaver, mm-hmm. but not your uncle. No, she didn't tell me that until later. I said, you know, my aunt said this is a possibility. Is this true? And she was like, yeah, I told you not to mess with this. And I was like, oh, it's, you told me not to mess with this. The reason she didn't want to okay. mess with families is because she probably knew she was reaching out to the wrong person and she messed with their family under a false premise. Yes, I think that. Um, and and so since this has happened last month, actually, something big um, last month. So I back to the DNA kits. I went ahead and sent it off to 23andMe as well, because I'm like, let me just figure this out. So I'm spitting into every like DNA tube. And I also have connected on Facebook groups. There are groups with older generations that get into these groups. They call themselves DNA angels. And they'll basically like you give them access to your DNA history and they will build family trees based on all the connections and like the percentages of DNA. And they do it totally free just because of there's a lot of situations like me where people are like, who am I? Um, And this woman that I connected with, I didn't tell her any of the things I just told you, but she came back to me and said, these two people have three sons. Your father is one of their sons. And it was Joey and Wayne's family. So I'm so like, the okay. your uncle, my uncle and his brother. So she okay. kind of confirmed that, but I still was like, okay, lady, like, you, okay. Um, but last month, I got a first cousin match with a girl I didn't know, um, who is the daughter of the third brother, <laughs> which confirms that one of the brothers is my is my biological father. Um, I did have a conversation with Wayne, the first brother, who my mother told me the name of, not my uncle. Um, and he said, he said, your mother and I, when she got pregnant with you, sat down and did the math and decided that it couldn't be me. Okay. So I went through fertility treatment with my daughter and I'm telling you that I didn't understand any of that. And I'm a adult with the internet. My 17 year old mother was not able to sit down and do math with her boyfriend about when they conceived me. I did not trust that information. I didn't even know that when you're six weeks pregnant, you're actually two weeks pregnant until I started trying to get pregnant. No, honestly, like what? And also, this is, yeah, no, there's no way that these two 17-year-olds sat down and said, well, here's what happened. And so, yep, not me. Right. So I'm just like, okay, sir, will you still do testing? And I had a family friend in this situation, um, another layer, that was like, I will pay for whatever paternity testing this person wants to do. Because they were like, because of their political views, they were like, we're not sending DNA. You don't know who has it and where it goes. And yeah, I'm like, okay, yeah. cool. Well, can you like, you know, here's some like private places we can go. And so he initially said yes, that he would do testing because I needed him to either come back as my uncle or my father. Um, right. Because at this point you have cu- cousins and people orbiting this person, but mm-hmm. not this actual person has not done a test. Right. And well, at this point, I did not have cousins yet. It was just things my mom had said. The cousin just came last month. Um, And this is like, I had contacted him soon after I had found out. But a a weekend passed and it was a holiday. I can't remember what holiday it was on a Monday. That Tuesday, he's like, hey, my family and I talked about this and we've decided that you should not contact any of us anymore. Please do not contact us ever again. (sighs) This was the person your mom suspected the first. Okay. Yeah. And my aunt was kind of gross about it. Like at first she was like, thought it was kind of funny, like, ha ha ha. But then she was like, Joey's not 
Joey is her husband. Not taking a test. He doesn't want anything to do with this. So I'm like, okay. And I haven't had any contact with him at all. I don't really remember him. He wasn't really around. And now that I think about it, of course he wasn't around. Like, that's weird. Like, I'm sure mm. every time I came around, he like, I'm out of here. Wow. Um, so I haven't had contact with either of them. Um, I have reached out to one of Wayne's daughters, not my uncle, but the other one's daughters, and just been completely ignored. Um, I have my cousin who was born in January that I was really close to all my life passed away in 2020 in a car accident. Which, like, there's another layer of this that, like, hurts because I feel like in my heart, if that hadn't happened, a lot of this wouldn't be such a mystery to me. Like, that would have been my that was the link. in on this. That was the yeah. link. Um, he has a younger sister who I don't know very well because we're just a different generation who I contacted on Facebook. And she wrote to me. It's so funny. She wrote to me and was like, I'll help you with this. When I initially read her message, I was like, ooh, that's sassy. I'm not responding. And then when I read it to my therapist, she was like, no, read that again. I think you're reading that in the wrong tone, like the wrong tone. Mm, yeah. But I was, I just feel too, I don't know. Like I, my therapist and I have processed this. It feels like when you're in a situation and you, you're like safe. I'm really safe in this like situation I'm in. And if I reach out to others and I allow them to reject me or I allow them to say something to me, suddenly I'm not safe. I, st- I have all control unless I reach out and they reject me. Right. So I was just like holding on to every ounce of control I have or, you know, even the one um, child I did contact who didn't respond. It hurt so bad because like, yeah. I've just been totally rejected by my own mother, by these men, by my aunt. It just feels like <sighs> I, I, it's so heartbreaking. Um, it's in. When I thought about this like conversation with you and like what I would say to people and what I've been like processing, because my situation is is hard and hurtful. Yeah. I've met so many people who have been like, oh, I could never do that. I wouldn't want to unearth those secrets. I don't want to know what's what's there. And I'm like, but there's someone out there waiting for you to do it. So they like if there's a family whisper, there is someone on the other side of that whisper who wants to know. And everyone deserves to know. Yeah. Like everyone. I think. As I process this, I don't need a father. I like had a dad. I loved him. I grieved him. I still love him. Um, And I can't even like piece together what that relationship was. And I wonder if he knew. And like, that's a whole other thing that I just will never know. That's what I feel so badly about is processing it on your one side. I think he knew. Um, I mean, his story's layered as well. Um, But... I think more than I deserve to know who my father is, I deserve to not be a secret. I don't want to be anyone's secret. I don't right. want to be the thing that people like, oh, we always kind of hee hee hee. I don't want that. I want to be like, I want people to know. And I want the man who is my biological father to not be able to like hide. I was talking to someone about this recently, and it's the idea that like I have to carry him inside of me and look at the mirror and think about him, but he doesn't have to do that. Right. He can just live his life and not. It's so wild to think that part of me is someone I do not know. I don't know. I like look in the mirror at myself and like wonder, like, and then feel kind of scared to look and scared to like. My daughter has this insane curly hair, like so curly. And it was always like, where did she get that hair from? Ha ha ha. And now it's like, I just feel like sad, like it's just sadness because I have no idea. Um, The other gross thing about this is, like I said, my husband and I went through fertility treatments. 
And part of that is genetic testing. Genetic testing. Yeah. And my mother never said anything as I'm like going through my family history. She never said anything. What? You never said anything. I I don't know what it is in her life. And, And a lot of the opinions about this situation come from women who say like, you don't know what your, why your mother kept that secret or what she was going through. And I really don't. I, I don't. And I, and I am not mad at her for, she, I don't care if she was with everyone in town. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that I deserve to be kept in the dark. Like, I agree. I'm not angry with choices that she made at 17, but the choice that she's making now is where I feel the anger. So that, that, I, that, that, A, thank you for sharing. I know this is like, immensely personal and i appreciate you sharing because i think i this is more common than i than we think and will continue to be as more people take these because the unassuming parties spitting into these are the either the secrets kept or people on you know and related in ancillary ways that are going to help bridge people together and your point about you know you might have messed up then or like not telling me but you have an opportunity to correct for it now i think that's what's so disappointing is it doesn't sound like you were going into it like wanting to be like gotcha and like you know completely erase your whole life or everything she did for you blah blah blah. it's like i'm an adult we have more information now i can you as an adult an adult can process those decisions she made and you can talk through it but the to be met with the lack of respect of not even having the conversation as an adult is really disappointing. And I'm really quite sorry that you've been met with such resistance because it's not like you're after money. It's not like you're, what do you, what do you, you, it's your identity. It's, it's your genealogy. I mean, I just, what is, what do you think people are threatened with is my confusion. My aunt aunt said to me in like a casual way, like, Joey and I are old. Why do we need to worry about new kids? And I was like, weird. I don't know what he thinks. I talked to my mother's mother about this. I called my grandmother who I I mean, she's my grandma. I don't really. I call her and I'm like, this is a situation with my mom. This is why we're not talking. And my my grandma like pretended like she didn't know, but then just chose to have a conversation about Joey and what he was like. Like she was like, well, let me tell you about him. And I was like, I literally don't care. Like, I, I don't care. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know, like, what people think that I'm trying to get um, and why people think that this isn't, like, owed to me. Like, I right. deserve this information. And, and I've looked into everything. I'm like, can I force someone to take a paternity test? And it's like, after you're 18 and there's no um, financial thing that you can get from them, you cannot really? go after anyone okay. for paternity. Um. Unless, I mean, like, there's, like, severe cases in medical situations where you could sue someone for your medical history. Um, mm. But, I mean, I would have to be, like, very ill to do that. Um, also, I – it's also really hurtful to want something from someone so badly and they don't want to give it to you. And then you have to decide, like, how much are you willing to beg them for it to the point where you need to be like, well, I don't care either. But I'm like, but I kind of do care. Could you please? Ugh. Right. I don't, I, and it, it it's like it sounds so um layered in that like there's a lot of shit there that people are trying to keep quiet. I don't understand that. Cuz it's it's hard. I think about like incentives of like 
yeah, you're not asking for anything. You just you want to know who you are. You want to know your connection to somebody. Like, it's not like you're gonna move into their house. Like, you have kids for God's sakes who want to know who they're related to. I mean, yeah, yeah. I guess it's just like a disappointing. Like, not only it's layered because they're your family, but like you just would hope the humanity in people would transcend the bullshit and be like, can we just have an honest conversation for whatever reason you did it back then? I think that I, um, so (laughs) random. I've been watching the like new Kardashian series. Mm -hmm. So so random, but, um, you know, there's like so many funny jokes about how like Courtney Kardashian's children, do they belong to Scott? And is Chloe Kardashian? Chloe. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, a ha ha ha. And when I see it now, like the ha ha paternity or like the Maury Povich of like, you are not the father. It's like, it's even like so the Mama Mia of it all. No, honestly, like me, I am Mama Mia. Like, <laughs> that's me. And it's, it's not so, cute. It, it's, it's not, not cute, cute and fun in real life. No, it's not cute. It's not a funny joke. And I don't want to be like, everyone needs to be sensitive to me. But like at the same time, like identity is so fucking weird, like and strange of how we decide who we are. Cause I thought I was like, I know who I am. And then I didn't know who I was. It's like pulling the strings and the tapestries unraveling of everything you've decided you are. Um, and now you're not. And you were wrong. Like my grandpa, I loved my grandfather. And I always thought like, oh, I'm just like him or so much alike. And it's like, but am I? And then you have the nature nurture conversation of like, mm-hmm. yeah. am I like this because I was raised by him? And what part of me? And I, so another part of this is that when my dad died, I constantly wondered like because I didn't know him as an adult I knew him as a 13 year old um and so then I wondered like what part of me is like him and I would wonder and my mom would be like well he was funny and he did these things and I would be like I'm funny I do those things too yeah and then I'm like stupid girl you were just making up stuff you were just deciding you were these things and oh it's so sad like trying to rebuild all of those things and also knowing that there were whispers behind me the whole time of like, haha, jokes on her. She's wrong. She doesn't know. And I don't know why my mom picked my father the, because he was not like dad of the year. Um, he had his demons and like our relationship was very flawed. So I and even she said to me, she was like, do you think if I could pick your dad, I would have picked him? And I was like, wow, weird thing to say. Yeah, very weird. thing. And to now say. I have to wonder why you did pick him. Um, right. The, just, the the other thing you said that I just the the being a a, a secret the having a narrative surrounding you without your consent without your knowledge is the most insidious part to me that I didn't really think about like you have to reframe your life through the lens of when I was there what dynamic was I creating what were people not telling me what was I selectively invited to or not and to not know that is a huge mind fuck that uh, of course that's going to affect you the the, yeah, the crazy thing is this affects everybody else very little who is resistant to acknowledging it and it affects you the most and the lack of empathy being directed toward you is astounding to me i think that i'm not alone so um there's a word for this it's called npe um and it's i so i'm in like this peloton facebook group with like thousands of women. So when this happened, I just like went to the biggest Facebook group I'm in and was like, I just found this out. I'm kind of freaking out. What do I do? Like, what what do I do next? And that's when I was like flooded with, you know, here are some groups that you can join. Here's information. And I joined um, 
this like NPE group of people. And when I tell you daily, it's today mm-hmm. I just found out that my father's not my father. Wow. Um, it is insane the amount of people this happens to and the the feelings that I'm the identity feelings, the looking in the mirror feelings, the feeling of a common theme that is kind of runs through these people like me um, is this feeling of like you don't belong all your life. You kind of felt like an outsider, yeah. like you didn't belong and you don't know why. And why do I not feel like I'm part of my family? And I always thought it's because my mom remarried and had children. And I've dealt with like serious feelings of abandonment all my life of like fear that everyone I love is going to just abandon me. That's like mm-hmm. what I was working on in therapy pre this discovery. Mm-hmm. And my therapist and I have had lots of conversations about women, pregnant women, and the things that happen to them that they basically imprint on the baby. Like, what was my mom experiencing? That What stress and feelings of abandonment was she feeling that maybe yeah. made their way into who I am? That I can't even explain to you why I have these feelings of, like, everyone I love is going to leave me. But it's common in people who have these experiences to be like, oh, this makes sense. All my life I felt different. And I like felt you were like picking I, up on something energetically that wasn't being said. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's there are so many. I mean, there are podcasts just where people sit down and tell like what happened. And um, there are people who find out that they were um, donor conceived and never told. I've never been told. on that side of TikTok recently, and that's really interesting, too. Mm hmm. I have a close friend who had that situation. We connected because we had similar situations, but um, she's a friend and like an IRL friend. Um, And she is 32 years old when her mom said, and only her mom only said because she, her sister sent in a DNA test and wanted them to know before the test came back that they were donor conceived. Um, I've had a lot of thoughts now about adoption of like, how do I feel about adoption closed adoptions, I should say, like the idea mm-hmm. of a closed adoption where you don't have access to who you are. Uh, it's uh, everyone deserves to know who they are. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Like there's no one to protect in this situation. It's just, uh, it's sad. And, and it happened to me around the time that um, Roe v. Wade was overturned and all that mm-hmm. happened. So I'm dealing with a lot of emotions about my mom and the choices that she made and who am I and all of these people I'm surrounded by. And what 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 was her pregnancy like? And what was it like when she had me? And what why did she make those? Why did she make the choice that she made? I, I just. Right. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot there. And I was just doing a fun thing. My mother-in-law sent me like, let's just spit into it, too. And I go back and forth on would I do it again? Like if I knew. That would was my I still... next question. You ex- when you start to unravel something, you expect to get to a place where it's disentangled and it's neat. but at the place you're at where it you may never fully get to untangle this would you rather it still look like what it used to i can't answer it i don't know i think that in my like one part of my heart i'm like yeah i think i would rather like believe that my father is my father and like go with that go with that narrative but on the other hand, like I deserve truth. Everyone deserves truth. Yeah. And truth is truth, whether we know it or not. And that's what I've been right. trying to like process is like, what is real is real, whether I found it out or whether it stayed secret, like that was always going to be truth. And like, I deserve truth. And I guess I still don't know. I feel if, if I had to like put my money on the table, it's probably my aunt's husband just because of yeah. the layers of it all. Um, 
but I, I don't know that for sure. And I may never, ever know that because I'm, I'm scared to, I don't know. And I keep, I have conversations like, what am I scared of? I don't know. It's. You're scared to reach, like to keep reaching out or to keep pushing it. I'm so scared just because of like, I like create a wall when I don't right? like you can't get to me. I'm not letting you. But then if I open up and say these things, then they that like allows them a place to hurt me. Right. Um, And I've I've got a lot of opinions like sharing this, like when I shared it in the general group um, that I was in, there are opinions of like, well, you don't know what your mother was going through and why. And like there are families you could disrupt families. I'm disrupted. Like I am the one that is disrupted. Like I didn't disrupt families. My mother and the person that she made this choice with did this. This wasn't this was your choice. It was not me. This was done way before me. And it's not fair that everyone else gets to be comfortable and everyone else gets to like close a door and not think about it. But I have to live it every day. You don't have that choice. Right. Yeah. That's what I I hope people like hear this and think about. Like there is an innocent party in all of these stories. Mm-hmm. And that's the only person that's owed truth and owed something is the innocent party. And that's me in this situation. Um, and there are a lot of people who are rejected. So there are a lot of stories where it's happy and great, but there are a lot of stories where, and a, it often happens like when a man is married to a woman who doesn't want that man to like connect with mm-hmm. biological children. I mean, that's layered, right? Like I think about what if my husband, this happened and he had a child, how would I feel? I, I mean, I've actually thought about this before. I mean, I guess hypothetically, I, I don't have like the fight or flight when if like I heard that it, it would be new information. It would be surprising. But I guess, yeah, that's what I've been trying to think through is like, what's at risk here beyond develop beyond the opportunity to develop an, another new relationship with a person who I guess I would want to know if I was related to, you know, I think that but I know it's not man, that simple. I think if this man were not married to my mom's sister, I would be more open to, but I feel this weird like loyalty, not even know if loyalty is the word. You know how when you're an adult and you're still scared of your parents? I don't know if that's the same for you. Like, I'm so scared of like, I'm going to get in trouble. Like, I better not do anything my mom gets mad about. So I feel this like weird feeling I can't explain of like, I don't want to make my aunt mad. She's my aunt. Like, You don't want to like feel like you're betraying any, like going against their, even though that's happening to you, you don't want to like go against their wishes and yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to be the one that everyone hates. Like, I don't want that, which it seems like maybe I already was that. And I didn't even know, like, I've distanced myself so much even before all this from my family, just by moving away. Like, I didn't even mean to. But when you live far away, you create this like weird distance. And so I'd already done that. And now I'm like, creeping back in like, hey, remember me? You thought I was gone. Well, here I am. Um, I just don't understand. I don't understand also why the siblings like, okay, we make the conversation and we make the argument for the wife. She doesn't want to like whatever she feels threatened. What about the children? What what if this happened and it was your father? Like, would you want to know your siblings? I was going to say, like, as people get older, as people have kids, as like time moves on and this technology even like improves, it's this is probably not over, right? No, there's going to be somebody somewhere down the line who I think will express a comparable level of interest or who reaches out to you or who I hope will at least provide you some camaraderie as a kind of confusing missing link part of this family, because you have to imagine at least curiosity will get somebody at some point who's not personally entangled in this in a way they'd have to protect people. I hope, but it's, it seems like the family is like, 
I don't know. It's weird. I wish I could hear the conversation. I wish yeah. I could be part of the conversation of like, here's why we've decided to ignore you. Like, are um, they like, oh, we all know this is true. Let's all band together and like it's kind of stonewall or every if it's like a big denial situation of like it's not me my lovely therapist told me not to create narratives she was like let's not try that is a healthier thing that's a healthier (laughs) thing to do than what i'm doing (laughs) but if i were to create a narrative i've decided in my head that maybe the the man who said he would take the test got with the brother and was like i'm gonna take the test and the brother's like if you take the test they're gonna know it's me so don't do that yeah. If we both stay out of it, then we're both in it. Like nobody's responsible. And then that's why he was like, my family and I have discussed this. So I, but, but I don't know. That's me just making we're up not, a narrative. Yeah. I actually don't know what happened. You're so healthy about this. Like I'm like <laughs> in full, like con- conspiracy mode here, but absolutely well, like you do. Yeah. You, you can't know. And there's, it doesn't serve you to create those narratives. I also know that it's like another thing that I've processed is talking to friends about this, that it's really brave. I mean, it's really easy to be brave on behalf of someone else. But when you're actually in the situation, it's like, like if my friend were telling me a story, I'd be like, you message everybody and you call everyone and you tell them who you are. But me, I'm like, type the message, delete the message, type the message, delete. Like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, Which is why I'm like, I want my message to be spit in the tube expose the secrets embrace everyone like everyone deserves to know everyone deserves to know well, there is no family secret i think that's such an important message and this is honestly a story that like i don't have a lot of familiarity with and it's so interesting to learn that there are broader like communities and places where you can find support if where would you point someone to who might be going through this in early stages yeah so i think the facebook group it's just npe it's what does that stand um, for um, so it's not parent expected or non-paternal event. Wow. Okay. It's typically a father. Well, always, always a father. We usually know who our mother is. Um, my birth certificate too has like father unknown. And my mother told me that was because he wasn't present at the hospital. And so they wouldn't let her. And I don't know if that's truth or not. Um, but now that's another thing in my life where I go, you liar. You lied. Mm-hmm. You, you didn't actually know. It actually is unknown. Um, I I also in this story, I've contacted my stepfather, who my mother was married to for all of my life, like 20 years. They divorced when I moved away to college. Um, And I haven't talked to him in all that time. So I call him and I'm like, hey, this is what I know. And he was like, well, it's not me. And I was like, "Okay, I know. But (laughs) who is it? And he was like, I did not know this. And he like swears. And I trusted him that he's like, I did not know. And I never understood why your mother didn't ask your biological father or the man we believed to be my father for child support or any kind of anything. Oh, interesting. Which now it makes sense because if she would have done that, there would have been paternity testing. So she never pursued anything like that. Um, but I'm sorry to derail that. To get back, the Facebook group was the most helpful thing for me. Um, it's because it was like real people and experiences of people who like just experienced it too. It happened to them 10 years ago um, and where they are and understanding through that group that like this is like you live your life for three months and you're fine and you wake up one morning and you realize that like it's back and it hurts and it's yeah. fresh and it's new and then there's new information. Um, also, that group, um, there is another group called Right to Know. Uh, right to know advocates for like the right to know. It, then that's donor conceived, um, adopted, um, and NPs. Just like okay. the right to know who you are. Everyone deserves to know who they are. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. This is a topic that I probably wouldn't have come across or been able to 
articulate in the absence of experience. And I know it requires you to be quite vulnerable and share your own private story. Um, so thank you for walking us through it. I mean, it's it's like a a crazy story narrative wise, but it's also like a deeply personal thing that you've had to endure. And um, I just yeah, I genuinely appreciate it. Do you, would you prefer me to keep your name out of this? No, because I'm not a secret, Kate. I don't want to be a secret. I, I don't. Well, just I, in case anyone yeah. reaches out to you, I just don't want people like bombarding you if you don't want to take on the labor of like talking think, to other people. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. But I so I have like a small, very small. I have like 35,000 followers on Instagram because I make jewelry and art. And I have like debated on like, do I say something to my followers and like the hope that someone could help me or that someone might be able to like. I don't know. I have this like dream of like a serial type podcast contacting me like, I'll do the investigation. I'll contact the people for you. So I no, mean, tell them that who sounds I am. like a pretty good idea to me if that interests you. Can I give people your handle? Yeah, no, for sure. How, so where can people find you? Um, so my, uh, my jewelry is Shay.made. So Shay made, I make earrings and videos on TikTok and Instagram. Oh, so. amazing. Well, I can't yeah. wait to check that out in general. But B, this will reach and help a lot of people. Yeah. I know it's like my crazy story, but I'm telling you that like I am one of so many that like want people to know, want people to know that that these secrets deserve to be exposed. Absolutely. And told stories deserve to be told. Absolutely. Well, you're the best. I hope that uh, if you ever have an update or want to provide one, please let us know. But in the meantime, I'm very, very impressed by you not only taking this on for your personal life but making a bigger message out of it because it should be on more people's radar and when you think about how easy it was to cover up stuff like that that probably means it was rampant yeah no for sure and i would think like i don't want to make people seek second guess these at home tests because they're cheap enough now that everyone can do them um i hope that instead you would like feel empowered by them and know that like yeah maybe there's someone waiting for you yeah, that's a really good way to frame it. A, a new relationship to be built, more we can learn about ourselves. And well, please let me know if I can ever be of any help whatsoever. I really appreciate that. And it Absolutely. was so nice to meet you and talk to you. So lovely so to meet you too. Well, take care and I'll shoot you an email when this comes out. Thank you so much. Bye, Kate. Thanks, Shay. Bye. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I gave AG1 a try because my husband was a consumer of it and he started making it for me in the morning and it was like a nutritional thing that actually tasted good which you know not to judge a book by its cover but surprised me i'm just trying to like make less decisions in a day and having this all-in-one formula that allows me to cover my nutritional bases every day packed with 75 vitamins minerals probiotics and whole food sourced ingredients it's, it's just a life upgrade it's given me major benefits like mood support boosted energy healthier looking skin, hair and nails and immune support, which is important to me at this point in life. And AG1 is delivered to every month. So it's super easy to make a daily habit. And I also like the single serve travel pack. So you don't have to miss a day when you're on the go. If I get out of a routine, it's very hard for me to get back in one. So I like the travel option too. And with AG1, taking good care of my body each day is really that simple. It's like a very simple drinkable habit that is actually delicious. And we love a science-driven formulation. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash be there in five. That's drinkag1.com slash be there in five. Check it out. I'm still in my home currently doing a round robin of 
Helix mattresses just to figure out when I can sleep. And I have to alert you of an amazing sale because you know I love Helix mattresses and they've outfitted my whole house with bedding. During the sales period, 821 through 910, Helix is offering 25% off all mattress orders using the code HelixPartner25. And I start with that because I don't want you to miss this and for some reason skip that. Oh, I love Helix mattresses. We've had them for several years. We have a Dusk Lux in our primary bedroom. We have a Sunset, which is the like softest model that everyone fights over in one of our guest rooms. I can't wait to put my child on one when he becomes a toddler because they have a mattress for kids that one side's firm and one side's soft and it kind of ages with them, which I think is really clever. And the Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux collection, the newly released Helix Elite collection, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress for kids, as I mentioned. And the way you'll know which Helix mattress works best for you is you take the sleep quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. They'll ask if you're a stomach, back, side sleeper, what your partner's vibe is, if you like firm or soft, if you tend to get hot, all the things that matter. So you don't have to worry about buying a mattress on the internet because I know that feels high risk, something you sleep on every night that you don't sit on first. But Helix knows that there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10 to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. And if you don't want to take my word for it, they've been awarded number one mattress pick by GQ and Wired Magazine. It gets sent to you in a box and it like expands before your eyes. You won't even believe that it fit in that tiny box. It's such a substantial high quality mattress. And Helix is offering 25% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners in honor of Labor Day. Go to helixsleep.com slash be there in five and use code helixpartner25. This is their best offer yet and won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. It's 25% off all mattress orders and two free pillows at helixsleep.com slash be there in five and use code helixpartner25. And as always, you can find the promo codes on our website and on the app Be There and Five Instagram. Everybody joining me is Emily. Emily, where are you recording live from today? I am in my basement in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Amazing. I'm in my basement as well. You had a podcast, right? Yes, I did. I had a podcast for five years with a couple of my friends called Hypotheticast. It was very silly and light, and we just played a bunch of dumb games like Would You Rather, and it was delightful. I love dumb games. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Nothing like them. By all means, tell the class why you uh, chose this topic and are passionate about it. Yeah, so... Twee, specifically sort of the Twee movement of the early 2000s through mid-2010s, like a cultural moment that included style and movies and music. And I, as an elder millennial, was a big participant in it. I was at like prime age. I was in, graduated from high school in college and in my 20s and loved this whole aesthetic and style. And I I loved everything that had to do with it. And that was kind of before it had this name, or it wasn't like commonly called that. But now looking back, as we can with a lot of trends, it's so, it's in my mind, is like so clear what fits in that category and what doesn't. And I think it's really interesting. I think it's both cringy and problematic, but also I love it and want to celebrate it. So it's kind of like, you know, the whole package. And I'm also currently writing a show with a couple of my friends up here. I'm a performer and we're writing like a sketch show with music. So I'm kind of steeped in the whole 
the whole idea right now. So how would you, with words, describe the visual aesthetic of Twee? I honestly didn't even know it was called that till maybe the past year or two. Yeah, I think TikTok has helped us define so many things. So that's kind of – that was where I first started hearing it talked about. Before, I just kind of thought of that as like a descriptor. It's like a British word, I think. And it just kind of means like excessively – cutesy or sentimental or quaint. But I think what that movement refers to specifically is, well, you asked about the aesthetic, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking like vintage feminine clothing, vintage dresses, like the the uh, flared out skirts, girls with bangs, vintage everything, really. Peter Pan collars. Yes, Peter Pan collar. Oh, love a Peter Pan collar. Tights, like patterned tights. There's like a little bit less specificity with men, but I think like, you know how in the like early 2000s, mid 2000s, guys dressing up became like cool again, like like Mad Men and, you know, like men wearing suits and kind of like vintage looking ensembles was like suddenly very yes. trendy and cool. Side parts. Yes, yes. Hats, the fedoras and stuff. So that kind of vibe. Very Zoe Deschanel, who I love, and I, I feel for her being kind of pigeonholed into this aesthetic for, like, the rest of her life, but <laughs> she really nailed it. Well, even before, I feel like people attribute her to New Girl, but I think my mainstream exposure to Twee was Zoe Deschanel in 500 Days of Summer. Yes, that was a really good, like, encapsulation of the whole vibe. Because her even her home, like, there's the the clothing aesthetic, but, like, her home was kind of quirky, vintage, sh- shabby, chic. Like she collected colored glassware and trinkets and like, I don't know. I actually didn't even know you could classify a male as twee. And I feel like I asked you this last time, but now I'm forgetting. I kind of thought a male twee was a hipster. Yeah, those two movements are like right alongside of each other. And actually, there's a book. Oh, shoot, I'm forgetting the name of it. There's a book written by a guy about the twee cultural movement. And he sort of like, defines it and like he like breaks it up into like five different things that sort of explain it and it sounds a lot like hipsterism it's sort of like embracing the sort of DIY individual like create having like creative hobbies and pursuits which feels very hipster to me but I think I think the difference in my mind is that we kind of stayed in a more like feminine space and hipster kind of had a more masculine energy. You know, there was more like buffalo plaid brewing beer in the hipster category. Yeah, tiny mustaches. Yeah, and Twee <laughs> kind of like was right alongside of it, but it was a little bit more of the cutesy feminine stuff. And correct me if I'm wrong, the difference to me between like maybe a person that was cute hipster versus Twee, like – Tweed to me was, okay, I think hipster is a look, yes, but it also came with a pretension about arts and music and movies, film rather, where you source things from. And Tweed to me was just kind of like more surface level, like didn't have as many character traits associated with it of what was required of you in terms of your taste. I think that's true. I would say there was still maybe like a little bit of pretension or a little bit of like, 
oh, you wouldn't know this band, that kind of thing. But I think it, like, took itself a little bit less seriously. So, yeah. like, thinking about the, like, Juno soundtrack, that, like, feels like a really good artifact for me, where it's, like, a lot of that music, it wasn't, like, trying so hard to be, like, so deep and poetic. It was just fun and cute yeah. and, like, positive, which one of the the ideas about Twee is that it's sort of, like, letting go of trying to be cool and embracing sort of anti-cool, nerdy stuff, which definitely, like, happened large-scale around that time when, like, suddenly everybody got into, you know, comic book characters after it was nerdy for, like, 30 years. So that's kind of there, too. So I feel like it's kind of like, I don't know, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be pretentious. I think some people ended up thinking that it was, but I, I think of it more as, like, kind of, like, carefree and letting – so for me, I was just thinking about this as I was doing some writing about it this week. I was thinking about how you've talked about the times that we were in high school and everything was, like, like – the aesthetic was so prescribed and it was like, this is what you wear. These are the clothing stores that you shop at. This is how you do your hair. You are tan and you wear low rise jeans and you know, da, da, da. there's like this whole, there was this like prescription and we all wanted to follow it like so desperately because it was kind of like the only option. Like we weren't really seeing a lot of other things unless you were like hardcore goth, which I was not like hardcore enough to be. So I tried to fit into that other category, but it just did not come naturally to me. I am incredibly pale, and, you know, I was in show choir and theater, and just so many things were just not going to work for me in that prescription of what was cool. And so when this stuff started getting cool, I was like, yes, I can have bangs, I can wear glasses, I can like, like, weird you know, British pop music that no one else knows about. And like, those things are going to make me, you know, like I fit in now someplace in the culture and I don't have to try to pretend to have like the California aesthetic when that was like never going to happen for me. Do you, sorry, this is like slightly off topic, but I just remembered. Do you think that Taylor Swift's brief foray into 1950s housewife gear a la 20, what was it, 2011 Hyannisport with Connor Kennedy? Was that her twee moment? Do you know what I'm talking about? Not the specific. What's the specific reference? Taylor Swift had, like, this very brief fashion period where she, like, got rid of the curls, straightened her hair, got bangs, and then wore, like, Oxford shoes, boat neck shirts, high-waisted shorts. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I totally think that. I think that that aesthetic for her was like her twee moment. It was like right in the right time period and she did a great job with it. Yeah. And w- what you were describing, because yeah, I agree. I think that um, incessant, you know, in a lot of, it was very pervasive in like, I don't know, at least in my experience in, in American high school, arts culture of like the way to stand out was to fit in, like to not, to just go unnoticed by looking exactly like everybody else. So and then there were these things that were like mainstream under the they were mainstream under the guise of being indie, like like stuff like Garden State that felt like yours, even though like a lot of people were participating, and you yes, could carve out yes. a sense of uniqueness in something that felt alternative that wasn't like, you know, a lot of the alternative stuff I was exposed to earlier on were, were more extremes, but the hyper feminine I was drawn to and interested in. 
I kind of always felt like there was two schools of how this manifested. It was kind of like the DIY or vintage twee person who genuinely thrifted and whose appearance was a product of like quite high effort to actually look this way on a budget versus kind of the anthropology urban outfitters mass production version of this. Yes. Yes, totally. Okay. I have a couple different thoughts. One, I just want to mention like, yes, the indie but mainstream thing. So something that I think has a lot to do with this stuff gaining popularity when it did is beforehand, before the internet was everywhere, before we all had like really easy everyday access to it, pop culture was like so kind of a monoculture. You know, we all listened to Top 40 Radio and we went to the movie theater to see like the big blockbuster movies and we all watched the same sitcoms. And so you had to work really hard to have like other right category, you know, like to get into other stuff. And some people did, but then suddenly, once we all had the internet and we were all downloading mu- music illegally and it was just suddenly there was this explosion in making television and movies and this like indie movie thing, which again, like what indie movie means, I think technically that should mean like not made by a studio, but yeah. Garden State obviously was like, right. you know, made by a guy who was the star of a TV show for many years. <laughs> like, yes, like this was not like a low budget thing in the grand scheme of things. But, but yeah, suddenly we had this like, other category to engage with. And so those of us that were craving that all along, I think it was like really exciting. And I think that's why it kind of gained traction. But then jumping back to the other point you made, the like accessibility of it. Yeah. I think especially because so many of us were young, you know, I remember like reading interviews with Zoe Deschanel and she was like, you know, talking about her vintage dress collection and it sounded lovely. And there was no way that I was going to be able to participate in that. I was, you know, in college. And and also we didn't quite have, you know, mod cloth. That feels like it was like an answer to that. Mod like cloth. Yeah. Like suddenly you could get a dress that looked vintage for like, you know, 50 bucks instead of, you know, scouring eBay and paying $500. Right. Oh my God. I made so many non-returnable mistakes on mon- mod cloth. Oh my God. I know. It was like the prince, the prince. The prince. I think we talk a lot about like LuLaRoe and the, the questionable prince, but we don't talk enough about mod cloth dresses and just a lot of like mushrooms and cartoon animals. And it was, they were intense, but yeah, then like urban outfitters and anthropology. And we kind of got like our own a more accessible way to participate in that, but it wasn't quite as genuine and interesting as actual vintage stuff. So did you self-identify with, so like I dabbled, like I would go through phases where I would try different things on for size, but my style is definitely more like structured and pants oriented and less feminine. Did you go pretty hard for this aesthetic? So I definitely tried. Helpful that I'm like short and on the curvier side of things. And so like a lot of the more structured kind of like, like I always admired the sort of more like businessy look and it just never really worked for me. And I also worked in a bookstore for a lot of years in my 20s. So I wasn't really dressing up, but. So what you're saying is you look great in the sweetheart neckline. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I do too. I'm a bustier gal and I, sweetheart works for me, but it is buxom and I have to be in the right mood. (laughs) Yes, very much, very much. I mean, I loved the like the fit and flare dresses. That's what they're called, right? The like fitted bodice. 
with the yeah. like, skirt that kind of poofs out. Went really hard into that. A lot of pattern tights. Yes, yeah. Bangs. I have a really high forehead, and I've always been super self-conscious of it. I feel like I'm destined to play Queen Elizabeth the first one day because it's just <laughs> – it's a lot. But the second that, like, full bangs came back in style, I was like, yes, this is my time. I never want it to end. And the, you know, the chunky glasses and, and all that. Did you ever wear an adult saddle shoe? Ah, I don't think I did. <laughs> I missed that one. Did you ride a, an adult bike with a basket? No, I, I don't take physical risks. That's not really in my, uh, in my wheelhouse. So I didn't do anything like that. I think I, I'd liked a T-strap. Actually, I feel like I don't want to, I don't want to like condense it down to this, but the more I think about it, my wedding was extremely twee. It was in 2010 and very like vintage inspired. So it wasn't like country twee. It was like library twee. Like we had like vintage books on the table and a little like vintage tree topper bride and groom. And my dress was like my dress is like technically vintage, but I don't actually think it was that old. I think it was just sort of like in the style of like lace and some like fringy beads. I love the idea of library twee, if I'm being honest. That's like an ideal offshoot of this yeah. trend. I wonder if that's on that like aesthetic wiki that yeah. I go on way too often. Yeah, it's because kind of, it's kind of like lighter dark academia. Totally. Did you have a birdcage fail? I did not have a birdcage veil because I wanted to be different. So I had the really long, like, the really long floor-length veil, which was kind of, like, just starting to get popular. 2010, yeah, everyone was doing short veils. I know. I felt very cutting edge. And speaking of birdcages, I did have a vintage birdcage for people to put their wedding cards <laughs> the in. cards? So, yeah. <laughs> so amazing. don't worry. That was there. I love it so much. Honestly, there's an element of, I feel like, the effort we put in during like Pinterest DIY era is like so special. Even if it's like not timeless, who gives a shit? We were like, so none of my stuff was either. I was so proud of it at the time. I put so much effort into it. And it's always a time well spent, I think. Right, right. And like, I don't know, timeless is so... It doesn't exist. Overrated <laughs> and impossible. Like who cares? Yeah, like I love that women who got married in the 80s have the most ridiculous 80s dresses. Like... That's amazing. They're so extra and the pictures are incredible and you can always like place it exactly where it was. And you're so great. right. It means you felt chic as hell in real time, which is kind of what matters. Exactly. And that you were having fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so true. Okay. So where do you see the overlap with what I gather is one of your favorite tropes, the manic pixie dream girl? Oh my gosh. So many thoughts. I'm currently trying to write a song about the manic pixie dream girl. So <laughs> quick overview, it is a trope that mainly refers to movies. I think sort of the first big example, although people refer back to older examples, Natalie Portman's character in Garden State, this female character who comes into the life of the male main character, she is free-spirited, she's quirky, she's unexpected, she arrives in his life and helps him figure out the meaning and the purpose and and what he's really supposed to be doing. And she's completely available. Like, who knows anything about her personal life because he doesn't really ask her questions. But she's just basically there to help him become a better person. And then she probably sort of just fades into the background. So the criticism, obviously, is that that's not a real person. 
And it's obnoxious to see these male writers and creators showing this trope, sort of using these women as a tool and perpetuating this idea that the kind of brooding, sensitive, creative man is the main character and he needs to be helped by this lovely, cute woman who just like happens to be adorable and will help him with all of his mental health issues and his life purpose. So that was sort of one of the biggest examples. You could also say 500 Days of Summer very much was. Some of these movies handled it a little bit better. Like some people would call Kate Winslet's character in Eternal Sunshine a manic pixie dream girl, except I think that movie kind of turned it on its head and she actually says at one point, like, I'm not here to fix you. Like I'm Mm -hmm. also just messed up and so that's not really my purpose. So it was handled in a lot of different ways, but overall I think people started to roll their eyes and say, like, this isn't really a real person and this is really annoying, which is fair. However, the backlash, I think, ended up being sexist in its own way because I think most of the backlash went on the women themselves. So suddenly there was backlash to, like, Zoe Deschanel as a human being who, like, (laughs) she maybe encapsulates this a lot, but she's also, like, a human being who has an inner life that we just don't know. And then it also became, and again, this is maybe me being kind of defensive, but, like, suddenly it was, like, easy to roll your eyes at girls who, like, have bangs and play the ukulele, of which I am one. And (laughs) it was sort of this, like, oh, those girls are so annoying. I just saw a TikTok with these, like, It was a podcast, I think, a very cool girl podcast. I don't know, Gen Z. I don't know who they were. But they were sort of making fun of this time period and, like, women who sort of sang with, like, little baby voices. They were kind of mocking them for it. And I was like, come on, guys. Like, yeah, that was maybe a thing. But, like, let's not pile on the women who were just sort of being themselves and doing what they loved in this time. So there's kind of my whole arc about the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, if that makes sense. Yeah, that is interesting to think of. So like, okay, the term was coined by like some dude in some like media trade publication, right? Yes, yeah. Were they trying to make a semi-feminist argument about this person only serving to further the male character's arc? Or were they being kind of reductive in the analysis? I think that they were trying. I wish I had the specific. I should find this specific article. Because it all hinges on this like one guy's article, if I remember correctly. I believe that the initial, like pointing it out initially, was a bit of a criticism of the trope. And just saying like, these characters, these women are basically tools and they're not real people. Right. And I mean, I don't think it was like a huge, harsh takedown, like, let's cancel this forever. It was sort of an observation. I'm pretty sure that was kind of how it came about in the conversation. And then it caught on. A lot of people pointed out other examples and sort of rolled their eyes at the trope, which is fair. But then I think, yeah, then I think it just sort of took on a life of its own and it ended up being harder on women themselves than the dudes who were creating it. Yeah, it's almost like... Because there's an element of – so what needs to be criticized is is not the th- things that women like and represent and the way that they look and their aesthetic and blah, 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 but the way that these characters are, like, r- likely written by males mm-hmm. in the 
plot, you know, in the, the tool that they serve for a plot. But so it was kind of, instead of being associated with the way these characters were written, it was associated with the way these characters kind of like appear and act and the things they like. Yes. And sort of the expectations that men have of women like that, that like, if you, yeah. if you are creative and whimsical and cutesy, then you are going to be like the perfect antidote to uh, a guy in his 20s who's lost and depressed instead of like going to therapy, which he should probably just do. You must not have a dense inner world. You are a one-dimensional. Right. And you and you serve to be sort of like a reflection of me and to be impressed by me and to be my muse as opposed to being a whole person. Like I always want to th- say like, so if these if this couple, this fictional couple ends up together and then – she gets pregnant. Like, what is he going to do when she's, like, a total disaster and throwing up and crying every day and, like, actually has a lot of complex shit and needs to sort of be the center of attention? Like, what is he going to do then? Is he going to be like, oh, I got to go write a movie about this? Or, you know, like, it's it's like there just doesn't seem to be a balance of who gets to be complex. Yeah, so true. And it's interesting because... Like, you could almost, and I don't even know how to navigate this part of the conversation, but, like, like best case, we all just, like, like what we like and are who we are, not in spite of what other people are, but regardless. Right, right. There's some men who would romanticize this type of person in that not-like-other-girls kind of way. Absolutely. That I don't think the girl herself is exuding, but the male writer might be projecting onto her. Like, she's not like all those other basic girls in those movies that like really predictable things. (laughs) 100%. And, like, this didn't happen to me as much as it happened to other girls that I'm friends with because I I met my husband in college and, I don't know, I just, like, I wasn't, like, out in the dating world much in my 20s. But I still remember, like, being in college and, like – feeling and initially like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like these boys are talking to me at this frat party and they're like so impressed that I like know cool bands and they're giving me like band recommendations. They're going to make me a mix CD. And, and I was like, this is so cool because it felt like they were seeing me sort of as like an equal, like an intellectual equal. Then only to realize that like they didn't actually care. They didn't really want to hear any of my opinions. It just became like another avenue for them to feel impressive to me in a way. Yeah. And I have totally. I have friends who sort of like did really suffer from that feeling of like being in a relationship, being connected to a guy, and then sort of realizing in the end that he never really wanted her to be a full person. He kind of just wanted to experience her artsy quirkiness and then move on and find someone who seemed a little bit more like would be a good mom, that kind of thing. Yeah, there's something so interesting there with – because I definitely was malleable with how I would showcase my interest depending on who my love interest was. And I just have so many memories of sitting in basements or dens or whatever and like watching boys do stuff and pretending it was interesting. Yes. And it just oh never my God, was. Yes. Oh, <laughs> never. Never. So many guitars in <laughs> Yes, oh. right. So many wall tapestries. And there it's just this like weird, unspoken authority males feel about their taste. 
Yep. They want to teach you. Yeah. And I remember as kind of someone skewing on the more basic, exactly like other girls' side of the spectrum, I was always very envious and amazed with people that had a more dynamic or indie or alternative taste that could hold these conversations that I couldn't. And my only way to dabble was stuff like Garden State or Juno or 500 Days of Summer. Like, it's I would know one song an artist had. I would know one song by The Shins but n- not their discography. So I think it's kind of an interesting thing where as a woman, I found people that were really deep in kind of the subculture to be more interesting and that to be more desirable. But since my natural interest wasn't there, I kind of would use the mainstream manifestations of Twee to like scrape the surface and like have elements of my personality that I would hope men would find cool and whimsical. <laughs> totally. No, that makes perfect sense. I mean, and if it helps. It's sad now that I'm articulating it. (laughs) Well, but we all did. I mean, like, if it helps from, from, like, my side of things, no one, like, I did not really have many, like, serious boyfriends. And I felt like my constant role was, like, like, cool, kind of nerdy, quirky girl that I can connect with and maybe can be, like, my fun distraction until I meet another, like, you know, classically beautiful more basic along the lines of basic girl. So, you know, it wasn't great on either end of things. But what I was gonna, what <laughs> I was thinking about circles. when you were saying that was that like, actually, I think one of the things that I love the most about this cultural movement is that for me, it actually ended up showing me a lot of like female musicians that I got really into. And it sort of became this one of the first moments of for me that was like women making art for other women. And That was really important for me. Like it was suddenly felt like some of it was sort of separated from the male gaze, especially with music. I think that's a great point. And one that I share in that that's something Pandora did for me was, you know, they would give populate playlists that were kind of birds of a feather. You couldn't see what was coming up next. And I tried to process my heartache with you know, the likes of Snow Patrol. But then it was was introducing me to Almost Lover by A Fine Frenzy to Imogen Heap beyond what was on the OC soundtrack, you know? (laughs) Like, I was getting introduced. I I don't even know how you would classify those singers, but, like, there were just a handful of female artists. There were even, like, Anya Marina covers. Like, there were so many female artists I got into in the late aughts because of Pandora when I was plugging in male bands to listen to to process my emotions. <laughs> totally. Yes. There was like, a, I don't even, I don't really know what you would call that either because like some of them were more poppy, some of them were more folk, and some I think could fit more solidly into the twee stuff. But there was like Feist and Regina Spector. And, Regina Spector. Yes. That's, yes. <laughs> oh, so good. Rilo Kylie, Kate Nash. Yeah. What is that genre called? I mean, I don't know. I think it kind of crosses into different genres, but I think, like, the aesthetic and the moment in time, like, I still put them under the Twee umbrella. I don't know. One of the things we're doing in this show is a medley called Girls with Bangs, and it's just, like, a medley of all songs by most of the women in this category. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, they're they're really kind of different stylistically, but they're they're, like... They're thoughtful and they're they're what's the word I'm looking for? Introspective. Mm-hmm. And they're not afraid of being wordy. Like Fiona Apple is always that for me. Like 
She just has so many words in her music and it's so rambly and specific and it's just like whatever's going on in her brain and ugh, I just love it. It would have been like our early 2010s Lilith Fair. Totally. Oh my gosh. I wish that had happened so much. Wow. What a dream. <laughs> Just to feel our feelings. Like that I love stuff like that that is just unequivocally not for the male gaze. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Like if it makes men uncomfortable, I'm in. Yeah, right. Too many feelings. So you're <laughs> writing like a musical? Well, it's sort of like a sketch, like kind of like sketch comedy plus music. So I'm I'm in a music duo with my friend Leslie. We do like and at the holidays, we do like jazz stuff. We're called the Champagne Drops, but then we also write stuff on our ukuleles and and oh, do other cool. kinds of shows throughout the year. So she's really good friends with his local comedian Josh Carson, and he produces a lot of sketch comedy shows. And so he has this amazing backstory. He has always hated the movie Garden State a lot, and to his credit, it's specifically because he's so annoyed with Zach Braff's character and his like just sort of self-obsession and kind of just all the cutesy tropes and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he's complained about it a lot. And then suddenly someone started uh, on like Facebook and then someone started sending him copies, like DVD copies of the movie Garden State and like anonymously. And then more people caught on. And so he's received like, I don't know, 50 DVD copies of Garden State. Mm -hmm. So he was complaining about that on Facebook and Leslie and I had already talked about trying to do like a cabaret show or something called Twee AF because we just love this music so much. <laughs> and then we talked to him and we decided to make something together. So it's going to be very uh, chaotic and fun. Garden State, like, is a, it's a movie I liked so much at the time. But when I rewatched it, at one chapter in my book, I talk about how I the depictions of mental health I saw in film and on TV growing up, like, were just such extremes that they didn't represent the day-to-day -day tension and difficulty of the human experience, like having generalized anxiety, like what depression looks like. It, people were always treated in such an undignified and extreme manner to where they were like a danger to society. And then Garden State is one of my first memories of a movie that addressed mental health in a way that didn't operate in those extremities. However, when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, so the message at the end is that the psychiatrist is the evil person and him being medicated was the problem. <laughs> exactly. All he needed was a cute, quirky girl. And, and then no his brain chemistry was just like yeah. magically fixed. I'm like, is this anti-SSRI propaganda? Like, uh, this is not what I needed during this time in my exactly. life. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, so many problems. I just remember that movie coming out, and I, I loved it, of course, because I was like, target market for sure. But that soundtrack, that soundtrack just like, it was so good and just blew my world open in terms of like, what kind of music I could find out there and... Oh, man. I still love oh, it. totally. What's your favorite from the soundtrack? Oh, gosh. I really love Hide and Seek, which I feel like it's kind of – I can't tell if I'm happy or sad that Hide and Seek, the Imogen Heap song, has been, like, overtaken by the OC and the the shooting scene. Do you remember that? I Do you know. watch the OC? I know. That's how I feel about Imogen Heap speeding cars in Grey's Anatomy. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I, I'm pretty sure that it that kind of takes a really good main character song that you you kind of use in your own head as its own device and then associates it with something totally different. Right. But, like, to be fair, 
that scene in the OC is it's now hilarious. <laughs> and the yeah. SNL sketch based on right. it. Have you seen that? Oh, Yes. And then Jason, didn't Jason Derulo like sample it? <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love that. I don't know. I should check that out. But it's, it's like, it's so like a really gone. cool song. I just it's saw a really cool song. I think on TikTok I saw a tiny desk concert with Imogen Heap and she was doing all this like cool technology stuff with her voice, like how to like loop it and overlap it. And she's she's really cool. I don't know. She is really cool. I think that the I was on doing a Patreon the other day and I heard myself reference Blue Eyes by the Carey Brothers. And I was like, that's a deep cut that I haven't thought about since Garden State. <laughs> yep. Yep. That was a good one. The Waiting Line. Is that what it's called? In the Waiting Line by Zero Seven. Love Zero that seven. one. <laughs> Ugh, Th- those just... are like those bands that are on your iPod. And when you sort by artist, you're like, who the fuck is Zero Seven? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yep. Oh. oh, my gosh. Well, this was a delightful walk down memory lane. I have no doubt listeners will feel the same way. I'm in the process of compiling these and figuring out what I'm going to do with them, but I thought this was such a fun topic. The thing that I'm remembering that we mentioned last time, not that this is like super important, but one of the things that makes me want to defend it a little bit, I think a lot of people are kind of rolling their eyes and cringing when they think back on this time, but it was also a movement for like young people as a lot of cultural moments are. And I think kind of just like let young people be young people. Like totally. Like it's of course it's going to be a time where we all think we're feeling things that no one else has ever felt and we're inventing art for the first time and of course we're going to look back on that and cringe a little bit but also like that's every generation every generation has something like that and i think it's it's better to maybe like point out what might have been problematic about it but also just like have fun enjoy the nostalgia of it and you know listen to whatever weird soundtracks that you loved from that time i bet they'll make you happy Totally agree. I think we were so used to seeing one-dimensional depictions, especially of women, or feeling like we had to be that way to fit in. And I think that any effort to carve out a sense of identity in a world designed to reduce you is really empowering, even if it's a passing trend or something that's not timeless, or you look back and roll your eyes now. I think it like... I just feel like those times in my life when I tried to step out with my style or my taste or whatever, even if it wasn't cool, it was kind of me realizing like, oh, I can do what I want. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And I feel like, I I mean, I know you've talked about this too, but I feel like millennials are sort of having a moment grappling with like, oh no, like we're not cool anymore. Or like Gen Z is calling us out. And I just want to be like, just just stop. Just, like, let them be young. Let them cringe at us. And then we just, like, wear whatever jeans we want. It's going to be okay. Like The coolest thing you can do is not care about being cool. <laughs> yes, it's true. Caring about a lot of things is cool. But being cool, don't care about that. But what is always cool to me is a full set of bangs. I love bangs. They Thank never you. go out of style. I do, too. I feel, <laughs> I feel very, like, I'm, like, driftless right now because I had full bangs for like over 10 years and then I had a baby and I just like and then the pandemic happened and I just couldn't keep up with the bang trims and so I don't really have them anymore and I'm like who I still look in the mirror and I'm like who who am I this forehead so maybe one like day bang trim maintenance is something we don't talk about enough because you're right that would have been hard during a pandemic and postpartum <laughs> totally and so many people just like went at it themselves but I know myself and I would be that like meme of the person who was like just a little bit more on this side and then suddenly <laughs> like full baby bangs so it's not as easy as it looks yeah I've been there <laughs> I love it well Emily if people want to find you or your work where can they find you 
I am on Instagram at Emily Duso, which is Emily spelled the normal way, and then D U S S A U L T. And yeah, that's where I'll post about any performances in the Twin Cities area. And also, just currently, I'm just talking a lot about the Barbie movie on my Instagram. So, you know. Thank you again for your time. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye. All right, you guys, thanks so much to Shay and Emily. For more Beths and Show, we have one about K-pop, Olivia Rodrigo. We have Why Being Single as an Adult is Awesome. I think we have a Taylor Swift Secret Session. We have a, a whole mom-themed one of people giving me their experiences parenting that's coming up, among other things. And the form for to submit for Beths and Show, I, I'll, I'll try to remember to put in show notes. But Courtney posts it every week on the at be there in five Instagram. If you like this episode, feel free to tag me at Kate Kennedy. Leave a five-star review. That's the most helpful thing ever. Uh, And just come back each week. Share with a friend. I don't know. You're the best for being here. And yeah, be on the lookout for, in some capacity, I'll share my eight passengers and connections research. Just not done with it yet. But otherwise, thank you for the privilege of your time. And as always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. Bye.